Welcome to Cookbook Club. We are home cooks from Portland, Oregon. Every month we choose a cookbook, make lots of recipes from it, and then get together to share some of the dishes we made. We talk about what worked, what didn't, and decide whether this is a cookbook we can't live without. I'm Sarah Gray. And I'm Renee Wilkinson. And joining us from our cookbook club is Kirsten Collins. Hi, friends. Hey. This week, we're talking about Smitten Kitchen Every Day by Deb Perlman. Deb Perlman started the Smitten Kitchen blog in 2006, which is one of the most popular cooking blogs on the internet. Her style is unfussy and dedicated to delicious, approachable home cooking. Perlman lives in New York City with her family. Smitten Kitchen Every Day is her second cookbook, which was released in 2017. We have all cooked a fair amount from Deb Perlman's books and her blog, and we're definitely ready to share some thoughts about how this one worked for us. Kristen, you cook from this book a lot, don't you? I do. I am a big Deb Perlman fan. Like, she's very iconic in my mind. I used to be a regular subscriber to her blog back in the Google Reader days. I miss Google Reader. I know. (laughs) RIP Google Reader. Um, And she, I mean, she's definitely someone who really helped me get into cooking and just, just made, like, trying different flavor combinations and new recipes very approachable. And I love her writing. So from this book, I've cooked, I've cooked not everything, but a fair amount. I've really gravitated to the like actually very simple <laughs> everyday recipes yeah. of which there are some things in here which I would not call everyday but <laughs> for example there is a quick sausage kale crouton saute that I make very regularly it's so easy especially Sounds really good especially if you have you know pre-cut pre-washed kale um it's just one skillet cook some bread with olive oil and salt maybe a shallot I forget um And then you throw in some sausage. You don't even have to use another pan. If I'm doubling the batch, I will like do the croutons first and then um, put them in the serving dish so I can fit more in. Is the sausage fully cooked or are you cooking raw sausage? No, it's ground sausage. Oh, okay. Um, So it's like ground sausage. uh, Cook that up. Put some kale in. Cook that up. Put some white beans in. Warm that up. Deglaze with vinegar. Throw it in a bowl. Put as much Parmesan as you can can on it, and it's just, it's real good, real fast, real easy, one-dish meal that's just, it's so good. That sounds amazing. Another one that's in my regular rotation is the Magic Two Ingredient Oat Brittle, mm. which in my house we just call it granola, but it's, <laughs> it is um, oats on a pan with maple syrup, and I, I add a lot of salt as well, and you just cook it on a low heat for a while until it's done, and we, we just have that constantly it's, it's a staple. Did you just eat it like granola? Yeah. 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 We, we made that based on your recommendation, too, and my kids love that recipe. Yeah. I mean, I w- it is magical because it comes out and it tastes so much better than just the sum of those very simple parts. Yeah, exactly. And so we always have So it's just maple syrup? Not oiled also? Not oiled. Just okay. maple syrup. Wow. And I put salt. I put salt. Yeah. I can't remember if she says to put salt on it or not. I think yeah. she mentions it, that it's like technically not two ingredients because you okay. do have to throw some salt on it. Yeah. But yeah, it just gets like really crispy and we have it in a jar and my kids just mm-hmm. snack on it whenever they want a snack. But you could like put it on yogurt or something and make a little breakfast out of it if you wanted. Yeah. I was always confused by the name of the recipe because I'm like brittle. Yeah. Is it, is it candy? I find it confusing, but no. I, I've it's never made it. maple oats or granola. It's just like the most basic granola. Yeah. Um, and it's so good. I just even bought a special Tupperware container for it to live in because <laughs> awesome. we always have it on hand. That's great. And it's really easy to make like while you're making oatmeal, just put it in the oven. Yeah, that's um, smart. Another thing that I really love is her perfect blueberry muffins, which I would agree are quite perfect. They're just like so easy to put together. There are very few, I feel like, baked 
breakfasty recipes that I can really bake for breakfast if I don't want to get up hours ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one you can, you know, if you want to be like super hostess for overnight guests without much effort, whip up some fresh blueberry muffins. That's great. That's my go-to blueberry muffin recipe. And I put a note in my cookbook that you can actually just cut any firm fruit, like apples, Asian pears, whatever. Yeah. And then, or even try it grated, maybe. Mm -hmm. In her recipe, I felt like the amount of blueberries that she was calling for was a little bit excessive. Because I think she calls for over a cup's worth of blueberries. So I had noted that, like, that was too much for me, personally. She she calls that out in the head Mm -hmm. head note, too, that... She likes it really blueberry. You could scale it back to taste for sure. But you know what I don't like about that recipe is that every time I look at it, I have to do this sound of flipping back and forth because the book is just laid out in this way that I find extremely annoying, which is that the recipes don't fit on one page. And so often that's a big complaint of mine, I guess, with her book in general, is that the opening descriptions are like great. And I love the storytelling and I can kind of see how like... If you entered in from the blog days, Mm -hmm. like you value those stories more than maybe I do. And like, I want those stories to be a third of the size that they are now. I love hearing them, but it's like half the page of the first page of the recipe is a story. And then it ends up bumping the recipe onto two different pages. And like, if you have it in your cookbook stand, it's just like an annoying thing. Yeah, Yeah. it's super annoying, um, especially since so many of them just spill over just a little bit to the next page. (laughs) Yeah, It's like, oh, come on. I love. I mean, I love her writing, and I I really like all the stories that go with it. But yeah, I wish that the layout had maybe de-emphasized the photos or something to to make it a little more functional and just fit on one page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, almost all of them you have to you have to flip the page. Nitpicky like graphic designer stuff. There's too much space between the lines. It's like double spaced, and so then when there's a paragraph break, your eye can't figure out where the paragraphs are. And the paragraphs are not numbered. So it's like if you're going to have all the spacing be that your eye can't quickly divide it into steps, then you need to have a number one and then a number two in front of it to make it easy to follow. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. So please, Deb, please hear us (laughs) or hear our prayer for the layout. (laughs) Another thing that I really like from this cookbook, although I don't make them very often, is the grilled yogurt flatbreads, Um, especially during like just grilling season in the summer. It's a nice side dish if you have the time and wherewithal to like put flour on your on your counter at dinner time. Um, They do come together really quickly and it, it does feel really special to have fresh grilled bread. And it's not that not that hard. And it's ingredients that I always have on hand. Um, on the flatbreads, you do, you know, have to let them rise and, and double over 60 or 70 minutes and let the yeast dissolve for 10 minutes. But and usually that is a big turnoff for me. But I feel like if if I do have the time or I know I'm going to spend an hour kind of preparing things, you know, a lot of it's just resting. So if you do that first and then you're making your potato salad or you're marinating your meat anyway, mm-hmm. it kind of all comes together at the same time and you just put it on the grill with everything else. Cool. I mean, it's that's cool. also like a, if you work from home and you can take a exactly. lunch break and exactly. start it. One of the recipes I like the most out of this book is the smashed egg bowl. Mm. Um, I haven't made that. It's really good. You make a romesco sauce. Um, and the whole like head note in that recipe is about how poaching eggs is really hard and like she spent all this time trying to poach eggs and they never came out right and then she realized you could just very softly boil an egg and then like you know a very soft boiled egg will just smash the same way as a poached egg and you don't have to like go through all that Mm. effort so she's like i'm never poaching eggs again but you still have to peel it you do still have to peel it but it's like cooked enough that it's not that hard to peel Mm -hmm. it's just like squishy in the middle it's got chickpeas 
it's got greens in it. You make this romesco sauce, and then you put the smashed egg right on the top. And mm-hmm. so it's like kind of a complete vegetarian meal. Um, and the romesco is really, really good. I feel like that kind of elevates it. It's not hard to make. I mean, cool. that does seem like the concept for the book, because this is the second book in her series of cookbooks. Mm-hmm. That, like the first one was felt more to me like company is coming and I'm going to spend four hours preparing this meal. <laughs> right. And this is meant to be really simple. One of the recipes I tried that is super, super simple is the broccoli cheddar and wild rice fritters. And I think I used leftover rice for it, too. Mm. And it just didn't taste good. It was like mm, interesting. not that tasty, but like an interesting concept. But that was one that just kind of fell a little bit flat for me. In the breakfast section, I've made the spinach mushroom goat cheese slab frittata. And I liked the concept for it that you could make frittata in like a baking sheet, basically, rather than multiple like cast iron pans. Uh, And it was okay, but I felt like it was actually a little bit like rubbery and flat. I think slab frittatas are really hard because they t- they end up usually being thinner. Yeah. So if you overcook them even just a little bit, they end up dry. It would work well if you're having a party for brunch, but I would rather have the quality control over making it in a cast iron pan yeah. and like doing multiple cast iron pans. And mm. like some things just don't need to be made for a crowd. And I think a frittata might be one of them. Mm, I disagree. Mm. Oh, really? I, I like disagree. That? I really, I love the slab frittata concept. This particular flavor combination didn't sing for me, but I love making a, a slab frittata for, for having company for brunch, especially since it is like a hearty main that just takes one pan. I think because they do tend to can dry out that it's helpful to serve it like with a sauce or some other like topping or oh, that's smart or something to kind of perk it up a little bit because yeah. they can be kind of bland um, otherwise. But yeah, I love it. If you're not also making pancakes or oh, waffles or right. something like that. Yeah. So um, breakfast is hard for people having people over. You know, what well, unless you have a slab for time. Yeah. The slab for time and a nine by 13 or actually on a baking sheet. I have a 10 by 13. Okay. Pan, so okay. I can get in that. Uh, there's a slab frittata recipe in the Julia Tertian book now and again. And she, like, in the picture, it is like a shallow rimmed baking sheet. And I'm like, no. Mm, like a jelly roll? Even, yeah. Like, even if you could, are you moving that pan full of eggs, like, from the counter down to the oven? Uh, I think you'd have to pour it in, in the yeah. oven like they do on the baking like, show. Like, I feel like you've got to <laughs> use... Anyway, that, that always seemed, like, not realistic to me. Yeah, I've done it in just, like, a glass Pyrex. Yeah, yeah. So is there another frittata, like slab frittata recipe that you like more? Or do you use this one as a base and then you just don't, you just change up the things I, you put in I it? I use it as a template and then put in whatever I like. So, what you know, depending on what's in season or what I have or what, what feels good in the moment. Okay. I, I feel like I just have like a lot of negative things to talk about until we get to the desserts. And then I have <laughs> many positive things to talk about. <laughs> Um, I made this smoky sheet pan chicken with cauliflower because I love a sheet pan recipe and, you know, I love it when you can like cook your protein with your veggies and just make dinner time a little bit simpler for a weeknight. And I thought that recipe was okay, but I think that it ends up being way too crowded on one sheet pan together. And so I wouldn't make that recipe as written again. I would kind of break the pieces apart a little bit because everything was so crowded. The cauliflower ends up steaming rather than roasting. I don't want to put cauliflower in the oven to have it be soft. I want to put it in the oven so that it's like crispy. It's the crispy edges, yeah. So I would modify that recipe for the future. But it's a good basic concept, I think, for a meal. I think I've 
talked about this uh, when I've come on the podcast before is uh, with my mom and my aunt, uh, a few times I've given them both the same cookbook for Christmas. And then we kind of can have like a text message based cookbook club throughout the year. That's um, so fun. And this is the Smitten Kitchen Every Day is one that um, we did a, probably the year it came out. And that I was going to talk about that smoky sheet pan chicken is my Aunt Peg's. Oh. Definitely in a high rotation at their house. Interesting. They're also cooking for two. And so maybe um, the maybe they're able to spread it out more. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I want to hear about the tofu peanut sauce recipe that is in your heavy rotation, Kristen. So I would say this used to be in my heavier rotation. Um, but my kids aren't really into tofu. And so we don't eat it very regularly. But this is, again, another one of the like actually very simple recipes that I can pull off on an everyday basis. Um, in that it's really just like, you know, roasted tofu, broccoli, and a really solid peanut sauce okay. like at the end. And it's just a really great combo. It's a full meal in one dish. And um, I really like her her method for roasting the tofu and the, and the broccoli. I want to try that one. My kids do like tofu. And with one sort of budding vegetarian in the group, I think yeah. that could be a... A solid. And they love yeah. a peanut sauce. It's so kid-friendly. Who kid does love a peanut sauce? I know, it's so I good. Try, I should try this again. I really thought the peanut sauce It seems like maybe you could just them, make it with chicken or something. Probably could make it with chicken. Yeah. It's hard with kids because they may not, you know, like it. Even if you try it a few times over the course of a year and, like, people are complaining enough about it that you're like, fine, I won't try it. Like, yeah. two years later, they may be totally on Team Tofu and you don't realize it yet. Yeah. Cacio and Pepe Potatoes Anna has a no, name. the cover girl. It looks good, though. Um, I've made that, and that's one where, I mean, the subtitle of this book is Triumphant and Unfussy New Favorites. <laughs> you have to spend a lot of time slicing those potatoes. Yeah. Which is maybe not fussy, but it, it's also it's not not fussy. Then you have to, like, it's lay fussy. them all out. It's a little fu- it's it, It's not unfussy. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's totally fussy, but I wouldn't say it's characteristically unfussy. But it is really good. Okay. Um, very, very, and, like, simple. And kind of greater than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it does take some time to, it's like, and it's like pleasing to like, okay, especially if you have a mandolin, slice up all these potatoes and then like arrange them in concentric circles over layers. Like that's kind of nice to do, but I'm not going to throw that together on a weeknight. Yeah. No. Ever. And again, it's a side dish. Right. Yeah. You can't so, just have potatoes for dinner. Yeah. And again, it's a side dish. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's complicated. That'd be a good. It would be a good potluck food, I think, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Okay, and it's very beautiful and and does taste delicious because it's like nice thin potatoes, but also a lot of crispy pieces. Yeah, we have so many more recipes to get through and like whole sections of this book that we haven't even gotten <laughs> to yet. So stay tuned. Dropcloth Samplers is a line of hand-drawn embroidery samplers, printed and ready for you to jump in and start stitching right away. Each pattern is hand-drawn by Rebecca Ringquist in her Portland, Oregon studio and printed for you to embroider with your own color and thread choices, like coloring book pages, but for embroidery. You can find Dropcloth samplers on Etsy or on Instagram at Dropcloth. One thing about this cookbook that I find a little overwhelming is the sheer number of recipes in this cookbook. It's like every section that you could have in a cookbook she has, including appetizers, snacks, and party food at the back. And then there's just like so many recipes. There's like a whole section for vegetable mains and then a whole nother section for meat mains, soups and stews, salads, sandwiches, tarts, and flatbreads. It's just like 
I've cooked some recipes from this cookbook that have been flops and some that have been really good. And then I go back to those on regular rotation. But I still feel like I haven't cooked over half of the recipes in this cookbook just because there are so many recipes in here. There's a lot. I kind of like that. I mean, I like that it's it's pretty that it's so comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you were just going to have like if I were just to have a few cookbooks like this would be one of them for sure. It's like it's simple enough to be accessible, even if for me in my life right now, I'm not going to be cooking these things every day. But they are kind of like think mostly things I can just get at the grocery store. And they're not that don't quote require a lot of specialized tools or knowledge. It's just sort of yeah, I feel like it's very Deb Perlman ethos. Um, mm-hmm. I will say the uh, grilled squid would be <laughs> one example of things getting just a little too like precious or creative. Um, <laughs> that's that's not something that's going to be on my everyday. Not on fussy. Everyday uh, meal plan ever. So I think um, if you took like the everyday out of the cookbook, I can see how it would be a cookbook that you would find a lot of value in over time. But I guess that's been part of my problem is that I'm approaching it thinking this is going to be like really easy, pretty turnkey meals to throw together. And it's really not like some of the recipes are, but some are totally just as involved as another cookbook that doesn't bill itself as Mm -hmm. being like an easy Mm -hmm. cookbook. Mm -hmm. And then I've also had some like annoying flops, which when you've spent a lot of time on something or put like a lot of high value ingredients into it, that can be pretty painful and Another one of my criticisms is that I feel like sometimes, although I love Deb, sometimes I feel like she oversells her recipes too much. And sometimes it's totally justified. Like the magical two ingredient oat brittle is totally magical and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But some of the other ones like in the dessert section with the party cake builder, it's this whole like (laughs) formula that she's got on like how you can make a birthday cakes for any season and any quantity and any combination of flavors. And like, I like that. But in practice, that whole recipe area has failed for me. I made the spice cake. It was super flat. Like, I'm not a novice baker. Like, it turned out super flat. Did not get a good rise on it. It tasted to me like a banana cake that just didn't have the bananas in it. Like, it didn't Mm, taste like a great cake. It tasted more like kind of a quick bread. I don't know. And then the vanilla cake has two teaspoons of vanilla in it, which makes an eight-inch cake, which to me is like, this better be a really good blank expletive vanilla cake (laughs) and it was like fine it wasn't great for me and so that was those ones were particularly annoying i've had a similar experience where i really 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 want the party cake builder format to work like it really would fit a need for me and i love her vibe of like a cake for any occasion and and the idea of like oh you can just combine these things or put them in a different pan and Bing, bang, boom, you've got cupcakes or a birthday cake or a it's it's Saturday and we're together a cake. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the actual recipes themselves have also been like very disappointing for me in practice. Yeah. It's a bummer. The frostings didn't work for me also. But other yeah. recipes that I have loved from her dessert section, and honestly, that's probably the section of this cookbook that I cook from the most. She's got two amazing cookie recipes in here. One is the double coconut meltaways which is a great coconut 
cookie recipe. It's very easy to pull together. And I just like that it's something different for my kids. It's like not a snickerdoodle or a chocolate chip cookie or a whatever, you know, the common ones are. Um, so it's very light and refreshing. And then the other one that I make all the time for myself is the olive oil shortbread with rosemary and chocolate chunks. Ooh. That recipe is so easy to come together. I preheat the oven and then I start making the cookies. And by the time the oven is preheated, it's ready to go in and you bake it as just like a big slab, basically, that you roll out mm -hmm. between parchment paper. As soon as it comes out of the oven, while it's still warm, you cut it into whatever sized shapes you want. And I just, the olive oil is really strong in mm -hmm. it. The rosemary is just enough rosemary without it being super overpowering. And it feels like a really delicious grown-up cookie. And I don't mean like a cookie that has pot in it, but like <laughs> a cookie that's not just like a chocolate chip cookie. And yeah. when I make those, no one else in the house eats them except for me, which I also really love. love. That. <laughs> Amazing. That's a win. Um, from the dessert section, I've made the wintry apple bake with double ginger crumble, mm. which I thought was really, really good. It's just like a really simple sort of like apple crisp, basically. But the double ginger crumble is really good. The double ginger is that it has like ground ginger and crystallized ginger in it. Ooh, yummy. Um, and so it's really, really tasty. And I think the ratio is good. She talks about like a lot of these kinds of desserts, there's never enough of the crumble for her. Like, and so the ratio is, I think is really good. I've cooked from this book a little less than both of you, but I haven't had a flop yet. Wow. Yeah, I've, That's great. I haven't made anything out of here that I, hadn't, that I haven't liked, but I haven't made as many as you guys have. I really, really like the granola biscotti. Hmm. Really good. I mean, biscotti, like, is it really that special, right? I don't, I mean, maybe that's like a sacrilegious thing to say. Like, I know there's a place for a biscotti, but I kind of feel like a biscotti has to be really good in order to get me, like, excited about it. Yeah. And this one's really good because it has, like, whole oats in it. Like, it's just so much better than, like, what I think of when I think of biscotti. What do you think of when you think of biscotti? <laughs> <laughs> when I think of biscotti, I think of like in the like late 90s when my dad discovered lattes for the uh -huh. first time. Yeah. And they were like you would get this like dried up biscotti that came in a plastic sleeve at mm -hmm. like a coffee shop, like when that whole mm -hmm. culture started. And he would be like, oh, you could have one of these cookies. And like they were like super dry and super like they always had like a very overpowering like almond extract flavor yeah, to them. Yeah. And it's just like never did it for me. I picture them like only being available at Cost Plus World Market. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, oh, it's imported from Italy. And it's like, yes, how long has it been sitting in a shipping container? Because it yeah. is could not be drier. That's hilarious. But that's interesting because I mean, I think that's high praise to have a really good biscotti yeah. recipe because it's so easy to have a terrible biscotti. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think those granola biscottis are really good. And it's just different than any other biscotti because usually they're very smooth. Mm -hmm. And these have this like granola texture from the oats, mm -hmm. which That's is really, really good. I got to try that one. It looks like it's almost, e not quite, but almost equal parts flour to oats as yeah. the base. Yeah, That's They're cool. really tasty. It's like biscotti, and then it kind of almost goes toward that like granola bar territory. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of an interesting hybrid. Another recipe that I love is the carrot salad with tahini, crisp chickpeas, and salted pistachios. Mm -hmm. I love a carrot-based salad. I think it's so great. You like grate the carrots and it's got this tahini, which like works really well with the pistachio, the crisp chickpeas, you like roast them and they are spiced. And so they are like crispy on top. And so it's like great texture, great like flavor combination. I think it's a really tasty salad. I've made mm -hmm. it multiple times. Is that enough to make a meal or is it kind of no. light? It's more like a lunch. Yeah, it's more like a lunch or a side dish. Okay. Um, it has the crisp chickpeas on top, but it's not like a chickpea based meal. Like it's more of a garnish. 
it's mostly carrot. Another one that I thought was really delicious is the meatballs marsala with egg noodles and chives. Mm -hmm. It's one of those recipes where it's better than the sum of its parts because it's very simple. It's like egg noodles, these meatballs, which are chicken meatballs, and then you make this marsala sauce and it's the sauce that totally like brings it all together Mm. and then you sprinkle chives on the top. What's special about the sauce? It's just so, so good. It's like got this great savory flavor. It works really well in the chicken meatballs. The thing with chicken meatballs is they can be dry. Yeah. And these ones were not. Hmm. Um, I thought this was a really great meal, and my kids could not get enough of it. Is the sauce, like, poured on at the end, or do you cook the meatballs in the sauce? You pour it on at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I'm gonna, Gosh, I'm making a list of more things to try. Yeah, and it's, it's really good. There's heavy cream in the sauce, too. It oh, almost yeah. reminds me of like a Swedish meatball. Yeah, it's almost like that. It's okay. very good. And I wasn't totally sure how it was going to go together just by reading the recipe. But like once you put it together, it's like, oh, this is really delicious. I should try that recipe. I feel like I could make that with Rivers, uh, my yeah. son's like veggie meatballs, mm-hmm. but like the same sauce. I think that would be low protein enough for him to have. Yeah. Um, that might be a good way to try to get him to come around to other sauces. Try a new sauce. And that yeah. sauce is... Like you want to just eat it with a spoon. It's really good. I love cookbook club, you guys. I love it that I've had this cookbook for like several years now and I keep keeping it on my bookshelf because there's like go to recipes in here. But you guys really encourage me to go back and take a second look or a closer look at some of these recipes that I've skimmed by too quickly. Well, that's the thing about a recipe or about a cookbook that has so many recipes in it is there's Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of things you could just skip over and never find yeah Mm -hmm. I think it's because it's overwhelming for me like I open it up and I'm like oh my god I don't even know where to begin and there's like a lot of different kind of uh influences of flavors like some things are slightly like Indian or Italian or Asian and Korean and it's kind of like wait a minute this is like I I can't handle this much (laughs) right input yeah uh so you guys kind of help my little ADD brain like narrow it down (laughs) and be like just pay attention to this one thing that is coming highly recommended to you yeah yeah One, one other thing about this cookbook that I find I don't know if challenging is the right word, but because I feel like there are a lot of recipes that are like hinge on a very seasonal ingredient or they like slot in a a very particular context, like a slab frittata. Like I'm not going to make that if I'm just cooking breakfast for myself or even my family. But once in a while that I host a brunch, then that gets like slotted in Mm -hmm. Um, as a just like, oh, what's for dinner this week is a kind of harder resource to flip through because... So many, so many of them feel a little context or, or time of year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's why it's good that we all have our recipe cues, our seasonal yes. recipe cues that we operate off yeah. of. And I almost think I need like a other occasions, like not weeknight cooking recipe cue where you yeah. could say like, here's all the things for brunch for a crowd yeah. and like call out the slab frittata, which yeah. I won't make, but Kristen will make. <laughs> I'll have you over, over for brunch. We can have a slab frittata. <laughs> Maybe, she can yeah. show us how it's done. There you go. Well, who do you think this book is a good fit for? Well, I don't think any of these recipes are like too difficult, really. Like, I think it would be okay for a beginner. And also maybe somebody who just like appreciates a fun story. Like Deb definitely has like, she brings this, her whole like personality to it. And, it, mm-hmm. and I'm fairly charmed by that. I feel like it's for maybe a beginning or a, even a beginning moderate cook, but I would give it to someone saying like, this is not necessarily like a everyday weeknight cook. I know it says every day on the cover, but mm-hmm. like use it as a normal cookbook. And like some of the recipes are pretty easy and approachable. Uh, some of them are a lot more involved. 
I mean, I think this is a good introduction to the like smitten kitchen canon, <laughs> um, and I think I think this would be a really good cookbook for someone who's looking for inspiration for how to like shake up their everyday cooking. Maybe I think it makes a good gift because it has uh, so many recipes. I think there's something for everyone. I appreciate that she always has a really robust like vegetarian main section. Yeah, I really liked that too. How often do you guys cook from this book? I think I cook from it. From time to time, basically. It's not in my like heavy, heavy rotation, but I like having it there because a lot of the stuff here is not like repeated in other iterations in other cookbooks that I have. Mm -hmm. There's enough that's like unique to this book. Mm -hmm. I cook from it pretty often. I mean, the things that I make the most are that two ingredient oat brittle Mm -hmm. and the quick sausage kale crouton saute. And both of those, I don't, I can just do them now. I don't have to like look at the look at the book. So does that, I guess that counts as cooking from the book. Totally. Yeah. Um, I feel like what I want from Deb Perlman is just a book of like her greatest hits. Like she has such a volume of awesome material Yes, that I feel like where her books fall short is when they're like recipes created for the book. I'm really curious about her book that's coming out keepers and whether those are brand new recipes or, or things that have appeared on the blog. But I think Really, I want her to have an app. Like if there was a Smitten Kitchen version of the New York Times app, I would buy that for sure. I really hope that at someday she just publishes a greatest hits because I don't think she needs to reinvent new things just for a book um, because she has so much great content just on her blog. It's so true. And I think we've talked about this before about how obviously in the publishing world, there's like this drive to create new content, new Mm -hmm. content. But at a certain point, there's so much content, we're just drowning in it. And like, I think a lot of us would be willing to pay for the curation of that content. Totally. Absolutely. Um, Totally. So yeah, like give us the greatest hits. Like we were talking about those genius recipes books, which like, that's a cookbook of all recipes that come from other cookbooks. Mm -hmm. And that's valuable. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Because these things get lost. Like there's 8 zillion recipes now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Deb, if you're listening... (laughs) Greatest hits. Please. Give us the greatest hits. Give us the greatest hits. Yeah. That's what we want. So many great recipes on the mm-hmm. blog, too. And it's hard, I think, because she does have such a body of work, to focus on just one of her cookbooks. Yeah. Given everything else that exists out there that she's created. And, yeah, so many hits that just yeah. don't happen to be in this cookbook. So I'm curious, you guys, is this a book that earns a spot on your cookbook shelf? Uh, definitely. Yeah, I'm keeping it for sure. I think it it brings a lot of value to my shelf. I'm... A little bit on the fence. I mean, (laughs) I've kept it on my cookbook shelf all these years because I don't think I can live without those rosemary olive oil shortbread cookies. There you go. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I loved being here. Yay. We hope you'll join us next time when we'll be cooking From Now and Again by Julia Tertian. This is a menu-based cookbook that even thinks through what to do with all the leftovers. Cook along with us between now and then. Just tag us on Instagram at Cookbook Club Show or send us a voice memo or a comment at cookbookclubshow at gmail.com. You can find us online at cookbookclub.show. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next one. And leaving us a review helps other home cooks find us too. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.